The Girl Who Trod on the Loaf by Hans Christian Andersen. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Girl Who Trod on the Loaf by Hans Christian Andersen. Translated by H. P. Paul. There was once a girl who trod on a loaf to avoid soiling her shoes, and the misfortunes that happened to her in consequence are well known. Her name was Inga. She was a poor child, but proud and presuming, and with a bad and cruel disposition. When quite a little child she would delight in catching flies, and tearing off their wings so as to make creeping things of them. When older she would take cockchafers and beetles, and stick pins through them. Then she pushed a green leaf or a little scrap of paper towards their feet, and when the poor creatures would seize it and hold it fast, and turn over and over in their struggles to get free from the pin, she would say, "'The cockchafer is reading. See how he turns over the leaf.' She grew worse instead of better with years, and unfortunately she was pretty, which caused her to be excused when she should have been sharply reproved. Your headstrong will requires severity to conquer it," her mother often said to her. As a little child you used to trample on my apron, but one day I fear you will trample on my heart. And alas, this fear was realized. Inga was taken to the house of some rich people who lived at a distance, and who treated her as their own child, and dressed her so fine that her pride and arrogance increased. When she had been there about a year, her patroness said to her, you ought to go for once and see your parents, Inga." So Inga started to go and visit her parents, but she only wanted to show herself in her native place, that the people might see how fine she was. She reached the entrance of the village, and saw the young labouring men and maidens standing together chatting, and her own mother amongst them. Inga's mother was sitting on a stone to rest, with a faggot of sticks lying before her, which she had picked up in the wood. Then Inga turned back. She, who was so finely dressed, she felt ashamed of her mother, a poorly clad woman, who picked up wood in the forest. She did not turn back out of pity for her mother's poverty, but from pride. Another half-year went by, and her mistress said, "'You ought to go home again and visit your parents, Inga, and I will give you a large wheaten loaf to take to them. They will be glad to see you, I am sure.' So Inga put on her best clothes, and her new shoes, drew her dress up around her, and set out, stepping very carefully, that she might be clean and neat about the feet, and there was nothing wrong in doing so. But when she came to the place where the footpath led across the moor, she found small pools of water, and a great deal of mud, so she threw the loaf into the mud, and trod upon it, that she might pass without wetting her feet. But as she stood with one foot on the loaf, and the other lifted up to step forward, the loaf began to sink under her, lower and lower, till she disappeared altogether, and only a few bubbles on the surface of the muddy pool remained to show where she had sunk. And this is the story. But where did Inga go? She sank into the ground, and went down to the marsh-woman, who was always brewing there. The marsh-woman is related to the elf-maidens, who are well known, for songs are sung and pictures painted about them. But of the marsh-woman nothing is known, excepting that when a mist arises from the meadows in summer-time, it is because she is brewing beneath them. To the marsh-woman's brewery Inga sunk down to a place which no one can endure for long. 
A heap of mud is a palace compared with the Marshwoman's brewery, and as Inga fell she shuddered in every limb, and soon became cold and stiff as marble. Her foot was still fastened to the loaf, which bowed her down as a golden ear of corn bends the stem. An evil spirit soon took possession of Inga, and carried her to a still worse place, in which she saw crowds of unhappy people, waiting in a state of agony for the gates of mercy to be opened to them, and in every heart was a miserable and eternal feeling of unrest. It would take too much time to describe the various tortures these people suffered, but Inga's punishment consisted in standing there as a statue, with her foot fastened to the loaf. She could move her eyes about, and see all the misery about her, but she could not turn her head and when she saw the people looking at her she thought they were admiring her pretty face and fine clothes, for she was still vain and proud. But she had forgotten how soiled her clothes had become while in the marshwoman's brewery, and that they were covered with mud. A snake had also fastened itself in her hair and hung down her back, while from each fold in her dress a great toad peeped out and croaked like an asthmatic poodle. Worse than all was the terrible hunger that tormented her and she could not stoop to break off a piece of the loaf on which she stood. No, her back was too stiff, and her whole body like a pillar of stone. And then came creeping over her face and eyes flies without wings. She winked and blinked, but they could not fly away, for their wings had been pulled off. This, added to the hunger she felt, was horrible torture. "'If this lasts much longer,' she said, "'I shall not be able to bear it.' But it did last, and she had to bear it, without being able to help herself. A tear, followed by many scalding tears, fell upon her head, and rolled over her face and neck down to the loaf on which she stood. Who could be weeping for Inga? She had a mother in the world still, and the tears of sorrow which a mother sheds for her child will always find their way to the child's heart, but they often increase the torment instead of being a relief and Inga could hear all that was said about her in the world she had left, and every one seemed cruel to her. The sin she had committed in treading on the loaf was known on earth, for she had been seen by the cowherd from the hill when she was crossing the marsh and had disappeared. When her mother wept and exclaimed, "'Ah, oh, Inga, what grief thou hast caused thy mother!' she would say, "'Oh, that I had never been born! My mother's tears are useless now!' And then the words of the kind people who had adopted her came to her ears, when they said, Inga was a sinful girl, who did not value the gifts of God, but trampled them under her feet. Ah, thought Inga, they should have punished me, and driven all my naughty tempers out of me. A song was made about the girl who trod on a loaf to keep her shoes from being soiled, and this song was sung everywhere. The story of her sin was also told to the little children and they called her wicked Inga, and said she was so naughty that she ought to be punished. Inga heard all this, and her heart became hardened and full of bitterness. But one day, while hunger and grief were gnawing in her hollow frame, she heard a little innocent child, while listening to the tale of the vain, haughty Inga, burst into tears and exclaim, "'But will she never come up again?' And she heard the reply, "'No, she will never come up again.' "'But if she were to say she was sorry, and ask pardon, and promise never to do so again?' asked the little one. "'Yes, then she might come, but she will not beg pardon,' was the answer. "'Oh, I wish she would,' said the child, who was quite unhappy about it. "'I should be so glad. I would give up my doll and all my playthings if she could only come here again. 
Poor Inga! It is so dreadful for her!" These pitying words penetrated to Inga's inmost heart, and seemed to do her good. It was the first time any one had said, Poor Inga! without saying something about her faults. A little innocent child was weeping and praying for mercy for her. It made her feel quite strange, and she would gladly have wept herself, and it added to her torment to find she could not do so. And while she thus suffered in a place where nothing changed, years passed away on earth, and she heard her name less frequently mentioned. But one day a sigh reached her, and the words, Inga, Inga, what a grief thou hast been to me! I said it would be so. It was the last sigh of her dying mother. After this Inga heard her kind mistress say, Ah, poor Inga, shall I ever see thee again? Perhaps I may, for we know not what may happen in the future. But Inga knew right well that her mistress would never come to that dreadful place. Time passed, a long, bitter time. Then Inga heard her name pronounced once more, and saw what seemed two bright stars shining above her. They were two gentle eyes closing on earth. Many years had passed since the little girl had lamented and wept about poor Inga. That child was now an old woman, whom God was taking to Himself. In the last hour of existence the events of a whole life often appear before us, and this hour the old woman remembered how, when a child, she had shed tears over the story of Inga, and she prayed for her now. As the eyes of the old woman closed to earth, the eyes of the soul opened upon the hidden things of eternity. And then she, in whose last thoughts Inga had been so vividly present, saw how deeply the poor girl had sunk. She burst into tears at the sight, and in heaven, as she had done when a little child on earth, she wept and prayed for poor Inga. Her tears and her prayers echoed through the dark void that surrounded the tormented captive soul, and the unexpected mercy was obtained for it through an angel's tears. As in thought Inga seemed to act over again every sin she had committed on earth, she trembled, and tears she had never yet been able to weep rushed to her eyes. It seemed impossible that the gates of mercy could ever be opened to her, but while she acknowledged this in deep penitence, a beam of radiant light shot suddenly into the depths upon her. More powerful than the sunbeam that dissolves the man of snow which the children have raised, more quickly than the snowflake melts and becomes a drop of water on the warm lips of a child, was the stony form of Inga changed, and as a little bird she soared, with the speed of lightning, upward to the world of mortals. A bird that felt timid and shy to all things around it, that seemed to shrink with shame from meeting any living creature, and hurriedly sought to conceal itself in a dark corner of an old ruined wall. There it sat, cowering and unable to utter a sound, for it was voiceless. Yet how quickly the little bird discovered the beauty of everything around it! The sweet, fresh air, the soft radiance of the moon, as its light spread over the earth, the fragrance which exhaled from bush and tree made it feel happy as it sat there clothed in its fresh, bright plumage. All creation seemed to speak of beneficence and love. The bird wanted to give utterance to thoughts that stirred in his breast, as the cuckoo and the nightingale in the spring, but it could not. Yet in heaven can be heard the song of praise, even from a worm, and the notes trembling in the breast of the bird were as audible to heaven even as the psalms of David before they had fashioned themselves into words and song. Christmas time drew near, and a peasant who dwelt close by the old wall stuck up a pole with some ears of corn fastened to the top, that the birds of heaven might have feast, and rejoice in the happy blessed time. 
and on Christmas morning the sun arose and shone upon the ears of corn, which were quickly surrounded by a number of twittering birds. Then, from a hole in the wall, gushed forth in song the swelling thoughts of the bird, as he issued from his hiding-place to perform his first good deed on earth, and in heaven it was well known who that bird was. The winter was very hard, the ponds were covered with ice, and there was very little food for either the beasts of the field or the birds of the air. Our little bird flew away into the public roads, and found here and there in the ruts of the sledges a grain of corn, and at the halting-places some crumbs. Of these he ate only a few, but he called around him the other birds and the hungry sparrows, that they too might have food. He flew into the towns and looked about, and wherever a kind hand had strewed bread on the window-sill for the birds, he ate only a single crumb himself, and gave all the rest to the rest of the other birds. In the course of the winter the bird had in this way collected many crumbs and given them to other birds, till they equalled the weight of the loaf on which Inga had trod to keep her shoes clean, and when the last bread-crumb had been found and given, the grey wings of the bird became white, and spread themselves out for flight. "'See! Yonder is a seagull!' cried the children when they saw the white bird, as it dived into the sea, and rose again into the clear sunlight, white and glittering. But no one could tell whither it went then, although some declared it flew straight to the sun. End of The Girl Who Trod on the Loaf by Hans Christian Andersen